Now we have to marry our intention with action and all of us are custodians of that intention. We're all custodians of the legacy that we want to create. And so that means I have to caretake that intention. If we're all saying we want to be the greatest restaurant in Sonoma, then we've got to back up that intention with action and we have to work hard at it. We have to hustle and then we have to continue to improve on a daily basis. And that is the cycle. Well, hey there, if we haven't yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission, how that why comes to life. And today we get to share with you a Path for Growth conversation. And the way that we schedule these conversations is we really just ask who's someone that we deeply respect, we deeply admire, that we are currently learning from and listening to, not just because they are growing in their business, in their leadership, and in their personal life, but because of the way that they are growing. And certainly, the person that we get to talk with and learn from today exemplifies that fact. This is someone that has applied themselves to a lifestyle of healthy growth because today we get to talk with my friend Patrick. Now, Patrick serves as the president of the Mina Group. And the Mina Group is a restaurant group that's owned by the famous chef, Michael Mina. It's one of the largest privately held restaurant groups in the world. And I will tell you, I've eaten at one of their restaurants before. The food is outrageous. The view at the specific restaurant, Bourbon Steak here in Nashville, it's insane. It's on top of the JW Marriott here looking over all of Music City. But the thing that is possibly even more impressive than the food and the view is the level of service and the attention to detail. Seriously, just as much as this is a dining organization, it is a people development organization. And Patrick is really the spearhead behind their efforts as a company to develop, invest, and pour into people. And so I wanted to talk to Patrick, number one, about what makes him tick, what makes him get fired up, what makes him get excited, and then how does it express itself in leadership. And we all started this conversation with the phrase that he is so unbelievably energized about, and that's the phrase, passion-filled purpose. I've found myself a few years ago kind of wondering, why is it you take a look at some of the things that we do every day, like type, or let's say brush teeth, right? We all brush our teeth <laughs> once in the morning, once in the evening, probably for two minutes. But how many of us are like champion typists or champion toothbrushers, right? Not a lot of us because we don't have we don't have intent and passion uh, behind it. We're not purposeful with that practice. And mm. so as I started kind of thinking about what we do and what we don't do and how we apply passion and purpose to things, I started coming across this concept of uh, ikigai. And in- Okay, and that's a Japanese term, correct? This isn't just a term that you made up, right? right? <laughs> yeah, it's a Japanese term. That really, it, it, in basic form, it means plan for life your path for life, so to speak. And Mm. what's interesting is um, as I kind of started diving into that, I started realizing that there are these studies done that identified the blue zones across the world. And blue zones are where there's a high concentration of centenarians. And centenarians are folks that live to 100 or older. They live good life. Say they're, they're 100 and older and they're walking, they're fully in charge of their capacity, so on and so forth. And so 
they identified these areas where there was a high concentration of centenarians. And if you take a look here in the US, we've got maybe, I think it's like uh, 12 to 14 centenarians per 100,000. If you go to Tokyo or to Japan, they have about 30 to 32 per 100,000. But if you go to Okinawa, they have about 50 per 100,000. And so the science- and that's 50 per 50 people that are living over the age. They're living healthy, strong lives over the age of 100. So it's like it's a marked difference is what right. you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And and so they started identifying these spots. So Okinawa, Ikaria, Greece, Sardinia, Italy, Costa Rica, Loma Linda, California. There's a, an Adventist community there. And so they started saying, okay, what are the common denominators? And one of the most Obviously, there was there was a diet, but the diets kind of varied. There was some type of movement, but being part of a community, all of those types of things in different ways, shapes, or forms. But the one thing that was consistent was this notion of passion-filled purpose, our icky guy. And mm. at every single community, everybody had something to live for. Everybody had something to live for that, that not only made them feel good, but they were actually good at and that it kind of, and, and that their community needed. And so that's what really Ikigai is when you're, you're able to do something that you're great at, that the world needs, and you're passionate about. And so if you take a look at, for me, I have a lot of passions. I'm passionate about, I love opera. I am, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I am not good. I, I am not an opera singer. No one will. <laughs> you're not going to do a performance for us right now is what no. you're saying, Patrick. <laughs> right. The world doesn't need me singing opera. I am really good at loading dishwashers. However, I'm not passionate about loading dishwashers. So when you find your passionate filled purpose, it's what are you good at? What can you get paid for? What are you passionate about? And what does the world need? And so initially for me, I I discovered my first passion filled purpose working in the restaurant industry and realizing that I loved working with teams. I loved um, learning about food and wine and beverage and learning about society through the lens of what happens at a table. And I loved sharing that with, with our team and with our community. And then I loved the opportunities that it gave me, the kind of the platform it gave me to, to then lead and share philosophies and thoughts and help mold lives. And so that was kind of my first passion-filled purpose. And, and, and it still is. And it's a huge part of me. But now, as I've continued to grow and evolve, another passion-filled purpose of mine is really to help others grow in mm. Grow in character and grow in capacity. So, meaning they're going to be better people, but also they're going to be better in what they do with their hands, right? And whether it's as a worker, as an artist, as a whatever they're they're going to apply themselves towards, I, I want to help people become better at that. And really, specifically, I've been able to kind of hone that down. And I think we, we talked a, a few months ago, and I really think I have an opportunity to I, I, where I want to help men. And fathers, because I've uh, obviously I'm a father of three. I have uh, three young children at home, and I think nowadays it's more challenging than ever to kind of to be effective in all areas of your life. And I don't have the secret sauce or the answer, but I've made enough mistakes and I've learned enough enough lessons that I think I've got a pretty good playbook and uh, roadmap to help people grow in that way. And what's interesting is our in, in our time and in, in our this kind of generation of parents that are out right now, you know, occupying the world. We've never seen a time where dads wanted to be more connected to their children. When when we were growing up, and when I was growing up, that there was the effort, but there there wasn't necessarily the 
understanding. They didn't have the tools. They didn't have the skills. They wanted to, but they, we, they didn't know as much. And then the generation before that, it was dad went to work. He came home. You left him alone. He got the big piece of chicken. And, and that was about it. There wasn't a whole lot of en engagement. And right now, in this, in this time, this era, fathers want to be engaged. And it's tough when you think about trying to be a champion at home and ch a champion in the workplace and a champion in your spiritual life. And it, there's a lot of balls to juggle. And so I, I really, that's my, that's where I'm kind of focusing a lot of my passion. And that's where I really feel my passion for purposes in this new kind of stage of my life. I love that, Patrick. One of the, one of the things that we said we really wanted to do in hosting these conversations is we said we wanted to talk with people and learn from people that they have a message to share, but more than just having a message to share, because it seems like everyone has a message to share nowadays. It's someone that lives in alignment with the message that they're sharing and not by any means that they're perfect, but they're striving to live and establish habits and establish rhythms. And I just think like the story you just shared is one of you saying, okay, I've got opportunity and I really like food. I really like wine. And so I've got this incredible role, but it just seems like it would be so easy to be like, okay, I'm the president of one of the, if not the largest privately held restaurant groups in the, in the world. And that seems like a great parking spot. And I'm just going to stop growing that day. What's so cool is it sounds like you said, no, I'm going to leverage this opportunity as, as really a plan to really start becoming more focused and more deliberate and more specific about my purpose. So what did that journey look like for you? How did you land on those two words of character and capacity and specifically using those two elements in the lives of fathers and husbands and dads? So I landed on that actually a few years ago, my grandfather had passed away. And there was, uh, we were com all coming, we, he had 13 grandchildren, I think 31 great grandchildren, and really left behind a legacy and it's something that um, is amazing, was amazing to be part of an amazing witness. And as we came to celebrate his life together, I remember a, a passage I, that I had heard about, about David and God wanting to help him by the character of his heart or, or the integrity of his heart in the capacity of his hands. And mm. it's something that always kind of struck me. And it all, it kind of, when I went and, and got with all of my cousins and aunts and uncles, we were kind of, and that was something my grandfather did. He always wanted to help us grow in character and grow in capacity. And it kind of, it, I, I just heard that passage like the week prior and we are all coming together and it just kind of clicked. And I said, you know what? I want to continue that legacy of helping others grow in character and grow in capacity. And it just kind of crystallized and all just you know, like a light bulb for me. So that's how I came. That's how that, that, that's how I came to that. And then just working, I work in an industry, you know, we have about, you know, 3000 indirect team members across the world. And we work when people we, we go to work when most people are off, right? When mm -hmm. people are coming into our establishments to celebrate, to reunite, to be nourished, and we're the ones that are, are providing that. And so, which is a great gift. And, and it's an amazing privilege that we're able to meet people at the best moments in their lives. However, that means that puts a lot of our team members, you know, they get off work at midnight or one o'clock and they, they have a lot of energy to still burn and they want to be able to imbibe and, 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 and connect. And, and so it sometimes you know, the restaurant business can be a very hectic and somewhat sometimes toxic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And for, for me, certainly I, I was in my younger years during my twenties and even into my, my thirties, I was, 
burning the candle at both ends and, and not necessarily living very fruitful and healthy life. And your story is that you started as a busboy, correct? And literally have worked in the industry since those days, right? Yeah. So you've been at every stage and I, ex- I assume experienced the highs and lows of every stage of working in this industry. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But it seems like so many people, I have talked to people, I've talked to high level chefs in the industry that they do it for five or 10 years and they say it was a great job, but I burned out because I spent too much time at the bar after the workday ended. And they say, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Right. And that's the thing. And so I, I myself made some some big changes and commitments towards my health and wellness in, you know, from a a uh, health perspective, a spirituality perspective. I just really wanted to start uh, laying the, f- the foundation because I, there was one point when I was like, you know what, the person I, you know, this is probably 13, 14 years ago, the person I want to be, the person I always thought I was going to be growing up and the person that I acting like right now are very far apart and I need to, mm. I need to close that gap. And so I wanted to start building the foundation to close that gap. And as I started doing that, it's it just, I started, there wasn't much distance and it made, I w- you know, it made everything better. And mm. so at first I was like, you know, I, I need to get our team. I you know, people that feel good about themselves selfishly, but people that feel good about themselves produce better results. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> right. So if I can get people to feel better about themselves by having better practices, they're going to be better workers. They're going to be, they're going to be more loyal. They're going to be more excited to come to work, more passionate. They're going to learn. They're going to evolve. And so that was kind of what I, I first started going down. And, and that will always be part of my repertoire because as a leader and the president of this company, I'm going to always inspire and challenge our team to grow and to become better. But I feel that I, that I, I have an, an opportunity or a desire to connect with dads and helping them to champion every aspect of their life. And so that's, yeah, cool. that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I coincide with a lot of leaders that they want to play that role in the lives of their team members where the, the team member doesn't just say, oh, I'm a better worker because I, I work for this leader. They're able to say like, my life is better. Like my, my right. marriage is better. My my parenting is better. My physical fitness is better. I was talking to a leader the other day that for the first time they were having one-on-ones where they were talking to their team members about their spiritual, their intellectual and their physical goals. And she said, she was like, we work in the construction industry. Some of my guys, their their physical goals, they're like, I drink a six pack every night, and I don't know what you're talking about with physical goals, but it's like, <laughs> oh, it's a good place to start, right? Like, we got a lot of opportunity for growth, which is really good. But then I also run into people that they say like there is kind of this stigma, especially depending on people's work background and depending on how we've set expectations in our workplace, there can be this stigma that it's like work is for work and home is for home. Now, I know you and I know that the two go hand in hand and you cannot separate the two, but how do you go about engaging with a team member at the life level and how do you build the trust to be able to speak into that type of conversation? Does that make sense, Patrick? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think the first part, you have to flip it. It's building the trust, right? And in order to be able to to engage effectively. And so for me, I always look to earn trust. I don't, I, you know, I'm always trying to examine my myself and making sure that I am one setting the example, but but earning the trust of the team by being there with them, by working with them, by connecting with them, by being true, by being sincere, by not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And whether it's within the, the four wall environment of the restaurant 
or outside of that. And so what you say and what you do have to be married on a consistent basis. And so I, you know, establish rapport and I establish trust by, by investing in the team and committing to them and making sure that they feel like they're working in an environment that's safe, that's got their best interests at heart, that's a, a continual learning environment that we're teaching and sharing and growing together. And so by by building that network, we always talk about in our restaurants that on the first day, we come together as associates. And then after a few weeks or a few months, we are now part of a team. And then hopefully after nine months, a year, we are a family. And mm. that's the type of that's the type of establishment. That's the type of team and community that we want to build. And that it's all centered on trust. It's the number one currency that we have to trade within with our restaurants. And so first is building the trust. And then it's it's just sharing and talking and discussing and being there as a role model, but also as a, a mentor and an encourager to help people grow. And the thing is that and here's what we always talk about is life you know, is one indivisible whole, right? You can't attempt to do wrong in one part of your life. And I, th- I think Stephen Covey talked about this. You can't do wrong mm-hmm. in one part while attempting to do right in another. And what, what then I take it kind of almost a step further is saying, if, you know, anything that is worth you doing, it's worth you doing as best as possible. Right. And otherwise it's not worth your time. So I don't care if it's busing a table while you're going to law school, or if it's being a, a, a waitress while you're trying to get a music career started. If you're not applying 100% of yourself to that station of your life at that moment, you're not going to be able to do it later on you're, because it's a habit that you're building. It's a, it's a muscle that you're building. It's a reflex that you're building. And if you, and if you don't teach yourself how to be 100% present and, and focused on what you're what's in front of you right then, you're not going to do it later on. I, it, it, it's just so we, we kind of talk about that and we get people that buy into that. And, it's, and again, it will make you better in, in other aspects of your life. If you get that concept, if you say, hey, I'm going to make the decision to 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 be great to do great and to and to improve on a daily basis gosh there are so many things that you just said that i want to dive into i i think first the thing that stands out is just that idea of presence because it seems like almost out of necessity presence has become a very hot topic for people right now and people almost are craving presence. I I heard someone uh, recently say like, for a long time, we've had this love-hate relationship with social media, and it almost feels like it's about to become a hate-hate relationship because people are just sick of it. And so it's like, we all agree that we want to be present people. We want to be aware people. We want to be wherever we are, and we want to be fully committed to it. And at the same time, it just seems so difficult to to do. And I would just imagine... for someone in your role, which you're managing so many team members, so many restaurants, so many different roles and responsibilities reporting to you, but then you've got three kids as well. You're obviously married. There's a lot of things that are demanding your time, your attention. They're demanding your presence. So what have you had to do from a habits or a rhythms perspective to make sure that you are being that person that is fully committed and that is fully present with the place that you are and the things that you're working on, Patrick? You know, everybody always talks about work-life balance or balance in life. And really, I think in order in order to be balanced, you have to actually be imbalanced. Right? Love that. And what that means is you can't attempt, if you're at work, you can't attempt to be balanced with your head and, and your focus with other elements of your life, right? So if you're at work, you've got to be thinking about work. If you're playing, if you're walking a tightrope, 
right? And if you're thinking about your bank account or you're thinking about <laughs> why you're mad at your wife or your husband or how messy the house is, you're not focused on the tightrope and you're going to fall, right? Right. So you have to be completely imbalanced and out of whack with the rest of your life so you can focus on what you're currently doing. Same thing with if you're at home with your kids, you can't be thinking about, oh, you know, if you're working in construction, they, you're going past budget and you're going to miss the, the deadline and so on and so forth. You need to focus on being with your kids and completely untether yourself from everything else and be in balance with everything else. So you're 100% in what you're doing. If, if, you're going to, if you're going to church or if you're going to meditate or if you're going to read, you need to unplug all the different elements of your life and be focused in that moment because then you're going to enrich yourself in every moment that you're in. And you're going to, be, you're going to give the best of what you have to that moment and that, that's going to flourish. Right. Too many times people are with their kids, looking at social media, thinking about work and they're texting their friends or all these other things. And it's throwing everything out of whack. And so uh, for me, what, uh, what I do is I so I, I think it's very you hear a lot about it right right now as far as what's your morning ritual or your morning practice. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really important to have one. But I was listening to a podcast with Jay Shetty. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jay, but. He was talking about it, having you know a practice, and comparing it to if you were if you were a warrior, right? Before you went out in, into the world, you're going to put on your armor, right? And you're going to then you're going to go go to battle. Us today, you know, having a practice and having something is like putting on your armor in order to prepare yourself for what's going on in the world. And so for me, I you know I I wake up really early, usually. Around, How early is really early, Patrick? Uh, Five a.m. So. Legit. Right. I wake up at five every day. I, and then I have a practice of first I, I, I drink about, I would say 48 ounces of water in, in the morning, right, right away. You've got me beat. I, I drink 32 right away and you've got and tomorrow I'm drinking 48 and I'm going to text you when I do it. Okay? <laughs> right, awesome. But, but just, to, I, just to hydrate and just and to get everything going, get your digestive system going. And then I spend about an hour in a, it's reading. And so I'll read, I'll read some Bible lessons. I'll read from the, uh, whether it's a study plan or whatnot. And I, my, it's funny, my mom and I, it's one of the things that we do together. Now, obviously, oh, we're not awesome. together, but we are, we both follow the same kind of plans, and so we're kind of connecting that way. So I'll I'll read and study the Bible. I'll study, but I also study the Tao, the Bhagavad Gita, and read from different passages in the morning. Different things to kind of learn from. Or sometimes there might be a different book that I'm into, whether it's like Tim Ferriss or, or whatnot. And so I'll spend time doing that. And then I'll spend about 20 minutes or so meditating and then usually kind of end, end that in like prayer and incantations. And then, and then I work out and, and I work out for an hour. Um, and what does a workout look like for you, Patrick? It, it, it varies. Some, sometimes it's just lifting heavy. Sometimes it, it's riding a peloton. Sometimes mm. it's yoga. Sometimes it's going out for a run. But it's something to that to kind of just get me a little sweaty and producing endorphins and just clearing my head. And I have to so and I have to do that every day. I have I, if I miss a day of that two hour formula, I'm off. I'm not I'm not performing at at my best. And so. I know that I like that's my those are my vitamins that I have to take. I have to I have to have those two hours every day, and it it makes me better for everybody else that I serve. 
right? Bingo. Yeah. And that's what I think is so important. And that's, I get really frustrated whenever there's a conversation like the one we're having right now around morning routine or around habits and rhythms. And people say, oh, that's a self-improvement conversation. That's a personal development conversation. Because I think, man, I think what you just talked about and what you just ran through, that is just as much leadership teaching as it is personal development teaching. Because I don't know how you can expect yourself to effectively lead. It doesn't have to be exactly the rhythm that you laid out, but I don't know how you can expect to effectively lead other people if you don't have some sense of structure or order or routine to start your day like what you're talking about. Right. No. And it, it allows me to, to serve my family. It allows me to serve my team. It allows me to serve my community. I, I, I can't stress our, like how significant and how important it is. And then I, I'm ready. I'm prepared for the day. And it's the thing is, it, and I, and this is what I kind of uh, echo our stress to everybody is, okay, you don't have to, just like what you said, you don't have to do the two hours of this and da, 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 da. Just start with one little thing. Maybe you're going to work out for 10 minutes and maybe you're going to read for five minutes and maybe you can't get into meditation. So you're just going to sit there with nothing or go for a walk in nature with no distractions, but it's just one step at a time. And that's kind of the spirit of continual improvement. Our Kaizen is just finding one little act that you can approve on a daily basis, it's going to make you better. So Kaizen, I believe, is the second Japanese term that you've referenced today. What is your, like, why are you so passionate about Japanese culture? It seems like you've spent some time studying it, learning about it. What is the passion there, Patrick? I think it's just, a, one, I think it's a beautiful culture that and that really, for me, it, it they've got these concepts and notions that are so impactful and so amazing, and, and yet so simple. And just like Kaizen or Ikigai, or I'm going to hit you with one more. We have this, this phrase in the restaurant at our, we have a Japanese restaurant called Pablo. And the phrase is Ikigo Ikigi, which means for this one time only. And it, what it essentially means is we may never see each other again. This might be the only hour or 15 minutes or 30 minutes that we're going to spend together. So because of that, because how significant that is, we're, I'm going to honor you and, and you're going to honor me and we're going to honor each other because of this, how precious and rare that time is. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of something that we actually have it written in kanji in, in hung in all of our uh, pabus to serve as a reminder that we're going to honor this time uh, with each other. And when you say with each other, is that with the customer? Is that with the team? Is it across the board? With the, with the customer, with the team, just knowing that in the moment that we're in, we're going we're gonna to honor with each other. And whether it's me working together with the team or with the customer or whatever, it can be, can be taken in all, all. Okay. So I have a question on this because I work with a lot of leaders and whenever they're establishing core values, one of the things that I challenge them with is, is use language that is memorable, use language that you can say at a meeting and people will say, I know what that means. And it's like, man, when someone says Kaizen, like that is a word that if you say it in an American restaurant, it creates culture because by nature, most people aren't going to understand what that means, but the team has a culture in which they understand what that means. 
And the, the first question that people always hit back with is, oh, but that just feels cheesy or it feels weird. And I just don't know if the team's going to buy in or not. But I swear, I've visited your restaurant before. And it's like, man, the way Nicole, your assistant GM, she, I mean, she's in one of our growth groups. And it's like, you say the word Kaizen around her and she's like passionate. She is on fire about that word. Your whole team is on fire about the, the icky guy and all of these terms. How do you get them? It's clear that you're passionate about it. How do you get that passion to trickle down into the front lines of the organization, Pat? Well, I think, you know, it, what's and what's always interesting is so we'll start day one training talking about these concepts and people will be there like, I didn't know I was signing up for this. Japanese class, right? and Rosetta Stone. <laughs> and I'll, knowledge, I'll say this is pretty deep for a restaurant, but here's the thing, man. I just want you guys to be better. And I think inherently people want to be good. People want to be great. They want to contribute. They want to be part of something special. And so you don't often find that in, in, in restaurants, right? You might find it in nonprofit organizations, or you might find it in startups or moonshot companies. But, you know, I, I believe people wake up in the morning and they jump out of bed and they want to be part of something special. They want to contribute. They want to be good. And that uh, the, the restaurant industry isn't different. People that work for us in the restaurants, they, they want to be part of something special. They want to belong to a team. And so we help, help them realize that what they're doing is significant and it's meaningful. And we're not only going to teach them how to be great in, in the restaurant business and how to be able to go from a, a dishwasher to a cook to a chef or from a busboy to a general manager, but we're also going to teach them how to be better people and better for their families, for their friends, for their community, just by by sharing these things, acknowledging uh, these concepts, and then actually practicing them on a daily basis. I don't know if this is an accurate representation or not, but it seems like the representation of high-end restaurants on reality television is always some diva chef and diva general manager that is like throwing pots and pans and yelling cuss words and just freaking out and like on the verge of physically abusing people because of how high their standards are. I don't know if that transcends to the entire industry or not. But that like that image, that's the image that I think of whenever I think of the high end restaurant. And it just seems like the culture that you're talking about in your organization, like the fact that empowering people is a priority, just seems so radically different than that representation. But what strikes me is that, yes, you're focused on empowering people. And that's obviously a priority for you as a leader and for the organization as a whole. But what's fascinating is that it doesn't seem like the standards have been sacrificed at all. Like y'all's standards are so outrageously high. It's just that you're not throwing pots and pans to enforce them. So can you explain that balance and how you reach the ability to create that culture? Yeah. So, I mean, the, there are very intense moments and there's a lot that goes into uh, everything that we do. And, and there are times when passions erupt and there, <laughs> there it, it can get a little uneasy. But again, if you go back to the, the notion that people want to be part of something special, right? And people want to contribute and people want to be great. Then you take it a, a step further and go, okay, how does that happen? Well, does it, do we just make, wave a magic wand or is there a magic, is there, you know, a, a magic pill that we can take? No, that happens because each and every single person that's contributing knows that they're responsible and they're responsible um, for their actions. And 
that that's what's going to make that come into existence. And so we all get around the table and say, okay, we all want to be the best restaurant in Sonoma. We just opened a restaurant in Sonoma. We want to be the best restaurant in Sonoma. Okay, we can't just wish that into existence. That's our intention. Now we have to marry our intention with action in all of us are custodians of that intention. We're all custodians of the legacy that we want to create. And so that means I have to caretake that intention. If we want to, if we're all saying we want to be the greatest restaurant in Sonoma, then we've got to back up that intention with action and we have to work hard at it. We have to hustle and then we have to continue to improve on a daily basis. And that is the cycle, right? And so it, it's almost you know, like the, the, the formula for the champion spirit, right? The champ- but it's, we're all together because we have this passion-filled purpose of being a part of something special. We want to contribute. We want to, contrib- you know, we want to be great. So our intention is to be the best restaurant in Sonoma. We're going to put that into action by doing what we know needs to be done. We're going to take care of people. We're going to cook food right. We're going to season the food correctly. We're going to, ki- we're going to make people feel more important within our four walls than they feel anywhere else. We're going to connect with our guests. We're going to work together as a team. So we're going to take all the actions that are necessary and we're going to work hard at it relentlessly, never stopping, never giving up. And then we're going to find ways to improve on a daily basis. And that gets us into the flow. And once we're flowing, it's now we can catch magic and we can make that happen. And so Mm. that's, you know, and that's what we do. And it's really incumbent upon us as leaders to so the way we look at it in our organization is our corporate team myself my uh, michael who's the, the chef and founder we serve our corporate team our corporate team serves the general managers and chefs in the restaurants the gms and chefs in the restaurants serve the hourly employees the waiters the bartenders the cooks the uh, stewards and then those team members serve our guests right and that's kind of the way we, we look at it and it's incumbent upon us to make sure that they have the tools, the inspiration, the vision in order to to, to do that. And so it's not really a, a secret. It's just something that we all have to be committed towards and understand mm. that we're all custodians of that. And it can't, we can't just wish things into existence as much as we hope to or want to. And you actually you have to make sure that your actions support your intentions and then you work hard at it. Is that uh, is that best restaurant in Sonoma statement that you made? Is that actually a stated goal for that team, Patrick? Probably. When we enter into a, a market, we don't. You know, we want to be best in class. Obviously, we want to. We wanted to make sure that it's a prosperous and profitable venture. But we also wanted. We want to be recognized, and we want to. We want to be renowned. And, and so typically what we do when we're opening a restaurant is we'll get the whole team together and they'll come up with, we call kind of what, what their big dreams are for the restaurant. And they come up with it though, yeah, huh? The team comes up with it and it could be, mm. we want to, we want to compost. Uh, we want to, we want to have a compost program. We want to have an herb garden. We, it could be, we want to give back to the community and do four charity events a year. So they come up with a, a list of what would make them feel at the end of the year, they look back and they accomplish all these things. What's going to make you feel like, wow, this was a significant experience in my life. This was really meaningful. This is super awesome to be a part of. And so they put that down. We posterize it so everybody can see it in the, the back of the house in you know, the, the hallways and such. And so we posterize what their dreams are for the restaurant. 
And then when we accomplish something, we, you know, we celebrate it and we, we knock it off. And so then we do that every year. Then we reset and say, okay, here's what we did. We get the whole team together and we come up with new ones for the next year. And that's a never ending process. Wow. Very cool. One of the things that you said kind of in passing that I'd love to key in on is is you distinguish that there's a difference between responsible and response-able. And you made a point of saying those two different things. So can you explain whenever you say response-able, like what do you mean by that, Patrick? Well, obviously, we all have responsibilities and things that are within our charge, our, our duties and tasks that that we take ownership of, and that's responsible for that stuff. But being responsible, it's a, it's interesting. That is a unique human element or trait, right? We don't necess- we don't have to just react, right? When you react to something, it's you're not really taking the time to allow the dust to settle. You're just kind of instinctually doing. You're instinctually acting. That's what you know, and that's necessary. That's a necessary tool to have, right? That's our animal instinct. Great for survival. Exactly. Fight, fight or but, fight. And, and, but not much beyond that, really. Exactly. But being responsible means that we can choose how we're going to respond to, to what happens to us. Another Stephen Covey quote is, it's not the snake bite that kills you. It's chasing after the serpent that drives the venom to the heart, right? And so mm. we can choose how we respond to something if... if all, if something bad happens to us or we get in a car crash and we're on the, our, our way to work and now the car crash is going to make us late and, it, you know, we, we're already living paycheck to paycheck. We're not sure how, you know, we're going to make afford the deductible and this and that. And so, right, you could panic and, and freak out and uh, you go on the car crash and all of a sudden you jump out of your car and you start screaming at the person. Or you can say you can take a minute and be responsible and say, OK, you know, this is something we're going to get through it. Let's go check on this person. Let's make sure they're okay. How can I be the best me in this situation? What's the best kind of, what's the best response? And so we, we have that capacity, right? We're able to choose that in every situation. If your kids break your, the, the vase that was a family heirloom, how you choose to respond in, the, in that situation is up to you. And oh, guess what? Newsflash, how you choose to respond in that situation is going to, it's going to be an indelible memory that's imprinted upon those that are around you and they're going to take that's, those responses are hereditary as well so um, that's right yeah you just raise the stakes on the broken base a little bit that's <laughs> huge uh okay so i think that ties in so perfectly i mean you are at the center of an industry that the world i mean that the world of the restaurant industry was just absolutely essentially had an earthquake over the course of the past five months and the road to recovery i mean y'all are still y'all are still very much in the middle of this whole thing and have been affected probably just as much if not more than just about any other industry on the planet right now and I've seen businesses, not even necessarily just in the restaurant industry, but I've seen businesses, period, that got sucked into survival mode the minute everything started shutting down. And five months later, the leaders of that business are still living in survival mode, still living out of scarcity, still living in fear. And as a result, they're hamstringing their ability to lead effectively. So can you explain to us a little bit about how being responsible manifests itself throughout this whole coronavirus situation and really what leadership has looked like for you in this situation, Patrick? Sure. It's funny. Every year we come up with a theme as far as what, how we're going to lead this year. And our, our theme this year that we kicked off in, in January of 2020 
was thrive, not survive. Meteor hit the earth. And so we, but it was important that we try, we obviously we needed to figure out how to survive because we want to make sure that we have a restaurant group and a restaurant company on the other side of this. And so we had to make some tough decisions as it pertains to furloughing uh, our team and laying some team members off and closing restaurants and, and so on and so forth. And I don't, for those that aren't in the restaurant industry, you pay, we're paying yesterday's bills with with what we take in today and it's not a we're not a very i guess cash we don't have a lot of cash in in the bank it's on a day-by-day basis and so not a lot of restaurants have long runways to pay rent and play pay employees and pay for their utilities and all these types of things and so it, it was pretty devastating and so but what we did is one is we had a couple options we had plans. And so if this happens, we go with this plan. If this happens, we go with this plan. If this, So it by establishing that, it takes a lot of the, emo, not emotion, because it's still emotional when you're dealing with, mm. when you're dealing with things, but it, it's just very pragmatic. And as you come up with a playbook, it's like when you're, when Tom Brady or, you know, Peyton Manning or whoever is standing from the offense and they see at the line of scrimmage that the defense is doing something different well, they know what play to call. And so we yeah. we had a playbook that allowed us to call the plays. And because we were able to do that from a pragmatic standpoint, it allowed us to focus on connection and um, communication. And it, mm. that is what you know I think was essential for us is to make sure that we were communicating properly, honestly, clearly with the team, that we still provided opportunities for connection and, and for community. And so what I mean by that is immediately what we did was we created – a fund. We had a lot of generous guests in and folks contribute to the fund. We created a pop-up delivery service uh, that would also contribute to the fund. And we took to feeding our team and their families. And so we were able to do that up until the end of June. So right middle of March to I think 4th of July was when we, we unfortunately ran out of the ability to do that. But we were able to, at that time, provide over 80,000 meals to our team members. And allowed us to, to stay connected, to continue to build community and to show that we cared and that we were there for them. And so that from kind of a, a one, as, as a leader and a, as an organization, we've got to make sure that we're, we're, we're thinking about our team and we're doing what we can as really as shepherds, right? And preparing and just protecting as best as possible. And also, instead of kind of tucking our, you know, tucking into our shell, we started figuring out, you know, what can we start learning from what's going on right now? And so we we dove headfirst into understanding delivery and third-party delivery platforms and all that type of stuff. And I, I would say our team has probably got almost an MBA in, in, in understanding the tech and all that stuff behind it in order for us to, to figure it all out. And some exciting things, I, I can't really talk about it, but we've got a lot of some exciting things that will come out because of this that we would have never done before. And mm. you know, we would have never had the time to think about it. We would have never had the audacity to think that we could do it. So we're going to have a couple cool things that will come out on the other side of this that, you know, will be because of because of this pandemic. And now our motto going for the rest of the year is making lemonade, right? And <laughs> that's where we're, we're going to take all the lemons that life's throwing at us, all the challenges, whether it's the COVID or the fires and the smoke and everything that's going on here in California. And we're going to figure out how to make the best out of it and for our business, for our team, for our community, for our families. And we're just going to, we're going to make lemonade.
Very cool. Very cool. One one of the things that really stood out to me and that I've read of yours is your manifesto, Patrick. And one of the things that's so cool in that manifesto is you have all of these kind of, it's almost like pairs of paradox, right? You say that you want to be someone that's persistent, yet compassionate, wise, yet humble, intense, yet peaceful. And it, it just strikes me that every single one of those adjectives was probably required over the course of the past six months and everything that y'all have had to weather and are still in the center of right now. What is the biggest leadership lesson that you've learned personally in all of this, Patrick? I, I think it's, I, I, again, I think it's having that shepherd mentality mm. and really understanding it's, there's a lot of short, quick decisions that need to be made, but you can never make a short, quick decision as it pertains to your team, you've got to think what's the what's the long term decision, what's the long play here, and and make sure that you're putting that for putting that first. Obviously, again, like I said, we're not you can't keep everybody employed and, and keep paying people when because otherwise you just you run out of money and every, then you don't have a, an organization to come back to. But if you the way you handle that, you can. Listen, you can send, you can just cut people off, lay them off and not, never talk to them again and, and not have any you know, other communication. Or you can make sure that your leaders and, and yourself are calling people on uh, talking to them and walking them through it and staying in touch and creating ways for them to continue to engage with you it, in order to, you can, in order to just, I think, keep, to caretake and to mm. and act as a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd guides their flock right? And protects them and make sure that they're safe. And so I think that was the biggest, that for me personally, that was my, my biggest leadership lesson in, at, during this time. And yeah, I think we, of course, we've had a couple fumbles here and there, but we, we certainly learn from them. We don't sweep it under the rug and we kind of we wear our, our our failures on our chest and, and then and go from there. I'd love to know what is the word of encouragement or the challenge that you would give to dads in this season with regard to both the challenge, but also the opportunity that this season represents because you're so passionate about that, Patrick. The thing is I read something right at the beginning of this thing that said that fast forwarded 20 years and, and it was like a, a mother and her, their children talking about the shelter in place and all this. And the kids had no recollection except for what they might have read in history books. But what they what they did recall was how much time they got to spend together and how nice it was to have all this all these family nights and so on and so forth. And for me, I like I set my personal record. I was home ninety six days straight. You know, I haven't done that. I, I can't even imagine. I remember, but yeah, probably summer of fourth grade was the last time you did that. <laughs> But, you know, the thing is that we've got such a great opportunity, such a, a rich moment here, and we still get to have it, right, to really make the most of this time with, with our children. And we can, again, we're, we, we can choose how we're going to spend it. But obviously, yeah, I don't want to be a Pollyanna here. There's People are suffering, and there's a lot, man, there's a lot that we're being challenged with right now, and we're still being challenged with. I, didn't, I never thought we'd be in this predicament for so long. And so I get it. It's not easy to, to cheer up and, and, and put your chin forward. But I think as a father and someone that's that's creating and, and setting the platform and the, and, and the foundation for your children and how they're going to grow and how they're going to continue you know, develop into this world, I think we've got a lot of moments and a lot of opportunities to, to, to really nourish those relationships and to model 
the one, it's not just about spending the time and doing things, but it's also modeling the behavior. And you'd be surprised how much they see, how much they witness and how much they echo. And I think there was a, a saying that like, children may not listen to, they might, may not listen to what you say, but they absolutely will reflect the way you act. And I think we've got as, as potters, so to speak, with our children, we have the opportunity to really form them into something special right now. Adversely, consequently, we also have the opportunity to, to, to make a mess. But you can, so it's really about choosing how you're going to respond and, and modeling the, that, that behavior. But so it's being, being compassionate with your wife and, and loving your wife in front of your children. It's a, about cooking meals and spending time together. And whether it's fine, it's watching movies and staying in your pajamas all Saturday or whatever it is, but it's doing these types of things that they're going to remember their whole life. It's going to set them up their whole life. And uh, we'll never have an opportunity like this again, hopefully. Mm, that's right. That's right. Hopefully. I love that focus on modeling. J- just because I, th- I think that so much of what you're talking about, Patrick, it, it's just clear are the things that you do, right? And and it's clear, like you speak from a place, not of perfection, you don't claim to be perfect, but you do speak from a place of someone that is in the arena that is trying to, to fight this battle the right way. And I just find such inspiration on that. Personally, I'm so grateful that we get to share this message with our audience. It's so funny because before we started recording, the first thing I asked you was, how are you doing? And the first thing you said was making lemonade. And it's like, man, what a great example of someone that's modeling what he's believing. And if anyone's ridden the roller coaster this year, it's you and and your company. And so just thank you for your positive attitude. Thank you for sharing your perspective with us today. I know people can follow you on Instagram. I believe it's at Patrick underscore Umel. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Very good. And it's P-A-T-R-I-C. There's no K in there. So make sure y'all get that. And then you're also on LinkedIn. They can follow you there. Is that right? Absolutely. Very good. And then we'll also put links to, to the Mina Group's website and all of that in the show notes of this episode. Final question for you. And this is how we ended our last conversation together as well, Patrick. What is the one meal that if someone gets to visit a Mina Group restaurant, I know there's so many different types of restaurants, so many different types of cuisine, but if you could have every person that's listening to this podcast episode have one meal and one drink, what would you want to serve them, Patrick? I mean, that's a great question. We have a, a dish in Las Vegas at Michael Mira at the Bellagio that is a caviar parfait. And it's it's a, it's a shallow potato cake with smoked salmon and egg whites and egg yolks and, and beautiful caviar. And it, it pairs wonderfully with ice cold vodka. There you go. <laughs> you do not mess around. <laughs> no, that's a, a true, like, you're going to you know be kicking your heels. Just true joy pure joy right there. So that's one of our, our favorite dishes. That's good. And what's for dessert? There's a lot of good stuff, but I'll tell you, I, and I don't eat dessert often, but <laughs> good for you. That's amazing. That's <laughs> commitment. <laughs> Bourbon steak in Nashville, but also at all of our steakhouses and strip steak in Las Vegas too. We've got this beignets dessert and it's fried and we serve it with McKellen uh, scotch 18 uh, butterscotch pot de creme. And it is just, it's, it's divine. It's heavenly. Oh my gosh. I still say that the meal that I had at Bourbon Steak in Nashville was one of the best meals that I've ever had, if not the best meal that I've ever had. And more than that, the experience with the people at Bourbon Steak was the best service experience I've ever had, period. And that wasn't even close. So, so grateful for your time. So grateful for you and for your team. And so excited to see what y'all have rolling out in the future. Thanks so much, Patrick. Thank you very much. 
Well, I'm so grateful to Patrick for his time, for his investment into all of you, our audience, and for his incredible perspective on how to lead in such a way that you are, number one, constantly growing as an individual, but then, number two, leveraging that strength to serve and develop others. So remarkable. Now, we always close out these episodes with a few application points or an application question, and today, I want to provide you with an application question, and it was out of a phrase that Patrick kind of ran by in passing, but I think is so powerful and so important for us to consider, especially after this conversation today. And here's the phrase that he used. He says, at some point, you have to marry your intention with action. I just love the the words that make up that point, that make up that concept, because we all agree with the concept, oh, you can't just talk about it, you got to do it, or you can't just think it, you got to take action. But I love the idea of you have to marry, right? This is a covenant. This is a bond. You are going to bind together your intentions about what could be in the future with actual actions. I've had a mentor before say, eventually, you got to put some feet to your prayers. And that, I think, is really the sentiment that Patrick is hitting on really throughout this conversation today. So here's what I want to ask you is what is one area where you need to apply some action to your intention? And maybe it was something that was revealed based on what you learned in this conversation with Patrick today. What is an area where you need to bring some action to your intention and then you need to marry it? I'll tell you, because I'm asking this question, I thought about my answer to this question, and one of the things that I've been intending to do with regard to our business for a while that was really spurred and kind of awakened in me again out of this conversation with Patrick is they just do such a good job at the MENA group, literally, I've been there before, of making moments, of making things memorable, of making things that could be seemingly ordinary and making them extraordinary. Seriously, they have this dessert. I'll post the video of this on my Instagram so y'all can check it out if you want to. It's at Judd on the Run. I'm going to post the video. This is how good it was. I took a video of it. They bring out this dessert and it's this s'mores dessert, but it's not just like chocolate and graham cracker and marshmallow ice cream, even though that would be amazing because the food legitimately is amazing. But they like capture, I don't even know how they do it. They capture like wood-fired smoke, literally under the wood-fired grill that they have in the kitchen, and they capture it in this glass top that goes over this tray. And so it comes out and it's literally like this glass top on top of a tray that's filled with smoke that's over all of this just incredibly decadent s'mores dessert. And then I kid you not, they bring this out, they set it on the table, and then in a in a rush of emotion and passion, they pull off the top and you get this whiff of campfire smoke and you literally, sitting at the top of the Marriott in Nashville, feel like, oh my gosh, I just went camping. And then you bite into the dessert and it tastes like a campfire. It was just an outrageous, unbelievable moment. And I just saw that and I said, man, they could have just given us a dessert. But instead, they made it into a moment. And that's something that I intend for us to do as a business. But now it's time to marry our intention with action. Like, what are some things? And I'm going to talk to my assistant about it. What are some areas where we could make it a moment? Even if it's virtual, what are some arenas in which we could take something that is ordinary and make it into something where people go, oh my gosh. So that's an area where I want to apply some action 
to my intention. I hope that you answer that question as well. I hope that this conversation was valuable for you. If it was, please, please, please go follow Patrick on social media. Make sure that you reach out to him. Let him know how valuable this was. And remember, you can find all of the information about the links and resources that we talked about in this conversation in the show notes of this episode. Remember, as a team, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. My strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.